Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Savvy Mama podcast. My name is Renee Verco, a financial advisor, the founder at Money Mode and this initiative, the Savvy Mama and a mum of two. Now, so often we talk about what we do with our money, what we should be doing and how we should spend it wisely. But I think we also need to pay some attention to the inputs of our financial situation. And for most of us, that is derived through our work, our careers, our incomes. So on this episode, I've invited in Emma Pescott, a career coach who founded her own business recently called Promotable You. We're going to tackle some big topics today and largely around the theme of becoming more confident around our careers and our worth how to get that pay rise, the juggling and balancing act of returning to work after children and her top tips on navigating redundancy or a career change. Em, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, I thought we would kick off if you just wanted to share a little bit about your story and your foray into setting up your own business, Promotable <laughs> You. I guess for me, I mean, I never actually thought I would get into career coaching in a sense I guess for me growing up I didn't even know what I wanted to do with my career I was an aspiring musician for many years and in my 20s spent a lot of time touring and then kind of as I got to my mid to late 20s kind of fell into administration and then executive assistant roles so for me I had no idea of you know if I kind of say in those little quotation marks like proper career until I was a little bit older and I guess as I was going through in my EA roles, I was, you know, really getting into projects. I did 10 meetings that had nothing to do with what I was doing. I'd create myself kind of these creative projects. And I kind of just realized that I wanted to do something a little bit more that had no idea what. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people kind of get into that space, but they, have, mm-hmm. they just fall into roles and they don't know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So I then started kind of thinking to myself, okay, what would that look like? But I've worked with some really incredible people who kind of helped shape what I was great at, what skills I had, and I morphed into a communications role and then moved into a HR role and then went and got qualified after that. So after a few years in HR, I kind of, you know, really felt as if I'd found my place. I loved coaching the leaders that I'd worked with. I loved everything around, you know, creating engaging teams and helping to lift performance. And just over the years, naturally, I had just been coaching a lot of people. So when I had my son, I had been working on this idea of Promotable You for a few years and I had run a few different coaching groups and lots of different things. But once I had had him, I knew that I didn't want to go back to work full time and I wanted to do this full time and kind of help other people flesh out what they wanted to do in their careers because I know that I really struggled. For me, what I'm so passionate about in particular, is that people can move and change and morph depending on where they want to go. And a lot of the time, they've just got their own kind of self-beliefs holding them back. So what I love to do is kind of help people move past that and, you know, do what they really want to do in their career. I think that's quite a common thing. We just kind of fall into their career and kind of follow the path along and end up at some point in time getting a little bit (laughs) lost along the way and questioning kind of, yeah, where am I headed? What am I doing? What's this all about? Exactly, yeah. One of the things I thought we might kick off on, and it's kind of opening up a can of worms, so we won't like (laughs) go and discuss the whole issue in detail, but something that's talked about a lot and anecdotally people, you know, hear a lot about it, about the whole 
gender pay gap issue yeah. and women not being paid the same as men and there's you know a whole raft of reasons around it and one of my kind of observations in my you know corporate career is that I sort of feel that women don't typically put themselves forward at the same level as men it might be perceived but they just don't seem to have that same level of confidence and as I said it's mm. a really really complex issue I just wondered if you'd observed the same thing and you know can you share any of your kind of insights on how we can become more confident around their careers and their worth. Yeah, absolutely. It is something that I coach people on pretty much daily. And I guess, you know, there are two sides to the gender pay gap. One is organisations doing their part to actually help facilitate, you know, an equality across the genders. But I think as well, we need to be able to take responsibility for how we are as women being in the situation as well. So I think the stuff that we can control right now is really having a look at, you know, what is holding you back from asking for what that pay rise is. And a lot of the time, women that I find, they're not stepping up because they don't feel that they have 100% of the skills or the attributes or the experience required when they're looking at, say, a promotion. So, you know, if we look at it from the difference of men and the women that I have worked with, a man will generally look at a job ad and they'll, say, be able to do 60% of a particular role and they'll be like, yep, I can do that, not a problem, I'll learn the rest on the job. And they just know that they'll be able to do that on the job, not a problem. Whether it's a little bit of bravado, who knows, I don't know. But that's just how they approach it. Whereas the women that I work with, unless they know 99.95 of the job, they doubt their abilities even going into it. Mm. So they tend to not put themselves forward for the roles that are, you know, offering the promotions or they're not actually articulating their skills and their attributes and their value in a way because they're a little bit reserved or holding themselves back just in case they don't know all of the role and they kind of get found out. So I find that the biggest things with working with women is really, you know, delving into kind of that imposter syndrome, which Mm -hmm. people talk about a lot, and removing that sense and guilt of being a fraud in a particular role, and also just having a look at, well, what limiting beliefs might they have had based on past experiences in the workplace or wherever in life? Because a lot of the time we're holding on to stuff, you know, from childhood that is, you know, saying that we can't do a certain thing. So I think in terms of the confidence piece, it's really looking at those two things. But then in terms of a practical sense, it's really about just understanding where do you actually add value? And we're probably, you know, going ahead because I'm thinking about how do you actually go into asking for a pay rise. (laughs) No, no, that's totally fine. I just think that a lot of the time it's around putting in that groundwork about what it takes to actually ask. And it's not about just, designing a conversation the day before it's really how we're showing up and how visible we are with actually demonstrating where we've added value what achievements we've had and being able to articulate that into a conversation Mm. as well as you know really just taking the emotion out of it and looking at the market research of well where does your role sit within the market how do you benchmark your skills and experience against what the market is paying Mm. and really design that conversation to demonstrate that value that you are bringing Mm. I think we tend to fly by the seat of our pants sometimes and and just kind of rock up and use language around but I deserve this or it's not fair that they're getting this rather than just saying you know what 
here's the black and white of where I sit in the market versus what I've produced for this business versus the outcomes that I have achieved. And this is why I'm requesting this amount. And just taking away that ambiguity, taking away the the deserve or the emotion and just kind of setting it out in black and white. Oh, I can Mm. definitely see that come through. And I learnt myself through my career that, you know, I was brought up to not ask for anything and you know it's just kind of like you know work hard and don't ask for anything and you know you'll get rewarded and it just doesn't necessarily work like that you might be a really fortunate person that's had a boss that's looked after you but often they're so busy managing so many different priorities and things like that that you've got to be your own advocate yeah absolutely no I've had the same thing where usually each year prior to a performance review for instance you know I've kind of pre-talked about like my expectations with the manager and the one year that I didn't do that is the year that I did not get the increase that I was expecting (laughs) so you know it just goes to show that you do need to be visible you need to be having these open conversations about what your expectations are but going in with the research behind you just to have a valid kind of discussion or debate. So I find that a lot of women in particular don't write down their achievements or remember them when the time comes. So there's this cool app. There's this lady called Maggie Palmer from, she's Australian but now living in New York, totally all over the gender pay issue. But she has an app called Pep Talk Her. And you basically can track your achievements as you're going along and it's the perfect thing to be able to remember what you bring in your role to the conversation at performance review time. So I often recommend people download that app. Like I know personally it was a big adjustment for me going through that process of feeling that, you know, you had to sell yourself and not waiting for that pat on the back. Um, yes. And I think that's probably why some people get left behind because you are sitting waiting for that pat on the back that's not going to come. You've got to pat yourself on the back. And, You've got to do it, yeah. yeah. And the thing is it's not a natural conversation and it's not, something that people leap towards yes. so it does actually take something and yes. you have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit yep. to be able to have that be a really great conversation and it just is practice practice and experience and that's all it is you do it once and then you know you just keep building on that should we shift gears a little bit so returning to work after having a baby so we've both mm. obviously experienced that but there's so much going on for mums or for women particularly yeah. It's a huge time and I guess, you know, what's some of your advice on how mums can navigate this around their career? So, yeah, it's a tough one and kind of being on that journey myself, I got to, you know, experience it firsthand where I didn't really have much of an idea at all (laughs) beforehand. But I guess, you know, for me and also the women that I work with who are returning to work mothers, it's just about understanding that it's okay that your values have changed and it's also okay to still be ambitious. So I think for a lot it's about, you know, that mum guilt starts so early. You know, you're guilty if you stay home and don't have a career and you're guilty if you go to work and leave your child at home. And I think it's about navigating of removing some of that guilt where you can and just really having a look at but what is going to be best for you and your family and if that means I know for me that I need to do some work to really be fulfilled for me I need to be contributing to others for me to be my best self with my son and so I think the first part of navigating that is 
really about just giving yourself a break and just seeing where guilt is playing a part in making your decisions yeah. because you're not going to make great decisions from the place of guilt. Yeah. The other thing is too that you know when you're ready to have a baby, I think that the only thing you're thinking about is getting ready to be a mum. And if I could just stress the importance of a return to work plan that includes not just the you know physical attributes of turning up to an office or doing what you're doing, but having a plan on to help you, whether or not you might need to speak with a counsellor or a career coach or you know, really keeping touch with your organisation or keeping your skills relevant. Because sometimes you might be taking one year, two years, three years off. And the hardest part of getting back into work is to be able to demonstrate you've got relevant skills. Mm. So just trying to preempt before you go on that leave what that plan could look like, mm. I think would save people a lot of heartache. Yeah. Um, and I see some organisations around that are, you know, really starting to ramp up in that space too mm. and, and it's becoming a bit of a thing. Um, it's quite a new thing yeah. though, isn't it? Like that whole mm. kind of return to work program, but I think it's really good advice. Yeah, and I think where possible a lot of organisations will actually, you know, have keeping in touch days. The government will often, I'm pretty sure they have some mat-leave policies around returning to work on contact days where you're just going and keeping in touch, like whether or not you can ask your company to keep your laptop so you can at least check in on company-wide emails or they forward them to your personal address, just something to keep in touch so you're not totally out of the loop when you get back. Yeah. It's a big connection that you lose. I know I went back to work after my first baby and I lasted about six months and was like, right, now's the time. bit like you, I'd been thinking about sort of starting my business for Mm. some time and then I thought, right, now's the time to do it, which is crazy with young children. But one... (laughs) My absolute passion was to want to do this business, but it also, I guess the final straw was not really having the balance at work to be able to perform the role that I was performing and and being at home and and just thinking the only way I'm going to be able to achieve this balance is, you know, by starting my own business and doing it on my terms. And I'm seeing, you know, a lot of mums do that. They go and start their own business because they can't get... The flexible work. Yeah, the flexible work Mm. and the balance and... You know, I guess in your view, any ways that people can sort of try and navigate that whole balance piece? Yeah, balance is so tricky because it's just more like a juggling act, I yeah. find. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. I think the, if there was only one kind of piece of advice that I would say around balance is just know what you're not willing to compromise mm. and then just don't compromise on that. Yeah. A lot of women that I work with, they are unhappy or feeling stuck or feeling so overwhelmed because you know what they are trying to balance they're just compromising what just shouldn't be compromised um so it's about going okay well what are you really not willing to give up Mm. you know to be able to go back to work is it you really need your holiday time with your family or you really need to be working these certain hours and when I find that they're not getting that balance it's because they've given up what they shouldn't be compromising on yes the tough thing is and again it comes down to kind of planning before you go on maternity leave is a lot of women feel they need to go back to work for a financial sense Mm. which is totally normal because we have to pay mortgages and there's life and it's kind of planning prior to that well how long could you go without going back to work where can you scale down where possible because sometimes you may not want to go back to work within that first year. And where we get 
trouble with the balance is that we're not finding the workplaces that have that balance. So they're having to compromise time with their children, whereas potentially we might have been able to avoid a little bit more of that with just a little bit more forward planning. Yeah, It's tough though because you're just not in that mindset. Mm. (laughs) And look, that's, you know, you've kind of hit the nail on one of the big reasons why I've kind of started this initiative in this podcast is to kind of also help people around this planning and be able to put yourself kind of in the driver's seat and be in control because one of my big observations too with when I was on maternity leave, like we'd saved hard so that I could have the choice of how much time I wanted off work and yeah. and all that sort of thing and that my return to work was absolutely my decision. But most people, you know, friends or mums groups or, you know, whatever that I came across, a lot had to go back for financial reasons and they just yeah. weren't ready. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of the guilt comes into it, the dissatisfaction at work. And I think the other thing with regarding to balance is really having a conversation with your partner earlier around, well, where can they balance to? Because yes. women are doing like the double, double shift. Yes. <laughs> I know. You know <laughs> and I think- they are doing this stuff and it's a killer. And yeah. I find it myself and I have an extremely supportive husband yeah. who does so much, but we just take so much on ourselves as women. And it's about finding that balance with, your partner as well if you know some people don't have a partner so maybe it's a family member or or someone or a friend um, who can just help take some of that mental load off them as well. It's such a big thing because we do put so much pressure on ourselves like you know one of the greatest pieces of advice I heard years ago was someone saying that you know outsource the jobs that aren't meaningful or you know, yeah. So yeah. get the cleaner in and get help with those kind of tedious, meaningful tasks, and spend that extra time. If you are back working, then spend that extra time, yeah. you know, with your children, having quality time with them, and outsource That's the it. tasks that aren't kind of meaningful. Yeah, um, and people feel guilty about outsourcing, yes. and I myself have had to really push myself to outsource. Yeah, you know, like I have someone who comes in and babysits Matt of a morning so I can work and you know see him playing I've had to outsource the cleaner but I also had to get over the mental battle of paying for that up front to reap the benefits financially later and I think that was the biggest leap for me in terms of outsourcing was being like no this will actually help me generate more income and the other thing is as you said before about your partner like these expenses are joint expenses too like it shouldn't Mm. stack up against the one who's part-time and say well your choice to go to work um well the childcare costs we're going to add that on you know, negate that from your yeah. salary and work out if it's worthwhile. It's absolutely got to be considered Across. That, a family that's a really expense. good point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I just think that's a really important way to look at it, that it's a family expense. It's a holistic not just, view, yeah. 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 Most people talk about that, like, oh, I'm working for nothing. Yeah, exactly. And like, and, no, you're working for your own mental health, your well-being, your purpose in life. Yeah. Like, yes. You're not working for nothing. Yeah, you know? exactly. So another big thing, I guess, going on at the moment, obviously we're in the midst of a pandemic and now officially a recession and, you know, there's been a few redundancies around and potentially, you know, people are concerned that that may um, ramp up a little bit and people are kind of fearful. But I guess what advice and strategies could you give to someone that's found themselves out of a job and, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at their options? I guess. The, the main thing is to have a look at, again, if you've been already made redundant, then it's 
doing all the standard things like preparing your resume, getting your interview examples. The main thing, though, that I find with redundancy is if you have been given outplacement, use that support as much as you can. It is an expensive outlay for a company Mm. to provide that. You get a career coach. They help prepare everything. And the biggest thing is they often provide some counselling as well. Mm. And I find that with redundancy, most people have a bit of a, like their confidence has been shot because even though it's the role that has been made redundant, it doesn't feel like that, Mm. especially if it's not a voluntary redundancy. And I find that the biggest thing that holds people back after redundancy is confidence in applying for a new job. So really being able to work on your mindset first around it's the role that was made redundant, not you. And making Mm. sure that that doesn't play out in how you write your resume or how you give your interview examples, because that's the one thing that I tend to be trying to, you know, peel those layers off people around, well, you know, because I think that when you're looking through the glasses of I'm not good enough, they've terminated me, you're just not in the best place to find your next role. And you're Um, going to end up selling yourself short. (laughs) You do, you do. Um, The next thing would be to try and get a recruiter in your pocket where you can. A lot of the jobs are not advertised and I can't stress that enough. There is such a, you know, what they call hidden job market. So make sure that you are doing what you need to do, not just to submit your resume to them, but to call them. No one calls a recruiter anymore. Mm. (laughs) Just call them. Like until you reach someone who you can discuss what you're after, The other thing would be obviously the financial sense. So again, just understand how long you have to be able to find that job because maybe you can take a week off just to get yourself back on track to have a break before you start looking. And then the last thing is really around going, do I want to go back to what I was doing or or do I want to try something new? Because there's never a better time to reinvent yourself than a redundancy. And the great thing is that it's easy to talk about on a resume. Yes. The role was made redundant. Unfortunately, they didn't have the work available. So it's an easy conversation to have of why you were changing jobs. And going through your skills, and people talk about transferable skills a lot, but it's, it's really just quite a simple thing like rather than overcomplicate it like what are you great at and how can you just demonstrate that skill across numerous different examples so rather than just having that one skill within this particular role where else have you done that in not just work but in life for instance yeah you know and tailor your cvs and your interview questions based on those but it's all about relationships and networking when you're trying to get in somewhere quick so really about getting a recruiter um, in your pocket and connecting with your current networks and it's not just a case of hey can you give me a job you know ask for people's advice on who they might know who can help you because people feel a bit uncomfortable if you just go to them directly and say hey do you have a job for me but if you said hey can you help me with trying to source a, a new role or can you point me in the right direction of people are more interested or they're more, they feel more um, at ease about helping you at that point Mm. because networking is a key thing. The big theme sort of coming through all of this is it's really about confidence, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard when you're like either getting knockbacks or you're being redundant, (laughs) but it's just keeping writing, write a list if you have to of the stuff that you know you're great at. Read your performance reviews that you've got amazing reviews in. Like just keep finding evidence of your talents and how great you are because you are. It's just that you tend to forget sometimes when Mm. the going gets tough. 
Em, it's been a really great chat today and I think you've shared a lot of wisdom that, you know, sort of hopefully can really, you know, help people back themselves a little bit more. I guess in closing, do you just want to kind of share perhaps your top tips for anybody who's, you know, wondering about how to kind of put themselves forward and a little bit more about Promotable You and where we can find you? Yeah, sure. Um, and thanks for having me. It's been awesome. I think in terms of, you know, if there was just one thing, if you're looking at putting yourself forward, it's really about just taking an action. It doesn't yep. even need to be a big one. It just it needs to be one small action, whether that is creating, writing down your conversations for your performance review, whether it's engaging a career coach, whether it is calling someone about a job rather than just emailing them. Just one small action to kind of, you know, boost your confidence and, you know, because when you take any action, that's when, you know, you're just proving to yourself that you can do something. So yeah. do more of that. Yeah, and where can you find me? So on my website, uh, promotableu.com.au is where you find me. And I provide a few different services. So I work with a lot of clients around understanding what's next for them in terms of getting clarity around their career move and then helping them transition into that career. Mm -hmm. I also do a lot around pay conversations and performance review preparation, as well as my newest thing, which I'm absolutely loving, is I've just finished a career clarity and confidence workshop, which I will be running again in a couple of months, which I'm excited about. But that kicked off into an eight-week career accelerator um, mental program. So I've got a cohort of awesome people who are really looking at what's next for them yeah. and we're going through eight weeks to transition them into where they want to go and really get the confidence to take that next step for them. So yeah, lots of different things. So if oh, anyone's great. in the market to kind of change roles or up level or take on promotions or looking at for pay rises, then um, yeah, that's what I do. Oh, fabulous, Em. And I think, yeah, I'm really glad you've been able to join us on the, on the podcast because, you know, we like to come at money from different angles and this is you know this is a really important one because this is where you are you know I often talk about people you you know in your working career you're the engine room of your your finances so your ability to kind of (laughs) go to work each day and and earn your income and you know you want to be enjoying what you're doing and feel proud and fulfilled and feel that level of success and and be able to get the most out of it so um it's a really really important part so thank you for joining us and as we um, we mentioned we did uncover a few other themes so we might have to get you back on for a chat another time anytime that was really great Thank you once again for listening in to the Savvy Mama podcast. I really hope you enjoyed today's session. So many pearls of wisdom that Em shared with us and so much about that whole values, confidence and clarity piece. We will include Em's details in the show notes. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, we would love it if you subscribed, left us a review or a rating and we'll be back with you again very soon. Take care.